Matt Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on the big board, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, how's it going tonight? My ass is still prohibitively broken, but we're working on it. A question for you tonight, sir. We talked about Riddler One Bad Day last time. We have got a very similar misguided attempt to retell a village, uh, a villain origin story coming up tonight. Uh, just as much hot ass as uh, Riddler One Bad Day is. DC I know the word nominated Riddler One Bad Day. Oh, yeah. It's so bad. Like we said last time, the Eisners, they're dead now. So it's fine. The unknowable mind of DC Editorial comes to you, Matt Lasowitz, and says, what's your best pitch for retelling some villain's origin story? What's your villain and what's your twist? What's your take? More a take than a twist. I want to do a penguin origin that is deeply rooted in the Cobblepot family in Gotham. Ah, perfect. I love it. I want to see the jealousy of Oswald's father to the fact that the Waynes and the Elliots still have money. I want to see him probably somehow involved with the mob. If there was a twist... The thing that I might do is this. The original origin of the Penguin, the reason he always has the umbrella is his overbearing mother insisted that he always carry an umbrella because his father died of pneumonia after being caught out in a storm, which is a very like 40s, 50s kind of idea. We can keep that, but that's a crock. The mother told him that because she didn't want to tell him he was in deep with the sharks. Shark watch. And eventually Cobblepot figures out that, oh, my father was actually killed by some low level loan shark who worked for the Roman back in the day. And the framing of the, the, the story, the miniseries is Penguin working to find the guy who killed his father not because he loved his father because his father was a failure and a loser but because it's the honor of the cobblepot family you don't kill a cobblepot without repercussions i love it i love it i love it i love it that's perfect no notes Uh, although uh, if if uh, if we want to make it black label i'd say uh the elder cobblepot died of uh, syphilis from a hooer do you have one in mind? Oh boy. Might take a crack at Bane. Bring more of that mystery and intelligence and plotting and conniving and charisma instead of the Bane smash uh, that we seem to have gotten over the last, you know, 15 years or so. We need to cover some Secret Six. Because you need to read some of Gail Simone's take on Bane, which is possibly the best take on Bane 
since Nightfall. Since the run, since Vengeance Bay and the run up to Nightfall and early Nightfall. It's got a really interesting hook for Bane in Secret Six. I'm here for it. Because there definitely are a couple arcs where Batman appears. And frankly, the team is made up of there's three Bat Rogues on the core team, Bane, Deadshot, and Catman. So by the argument that, you know, we can cover Gotham characters books that aren't necessarily Batman, it's pretty damn close with three core bat robes right there at the center of the book. And now we've given our guests a minute or two to consider if he might have a pitch for a Batman rogue origin story or reimagining. Uh, we've got our good friend Josh Wheelback. Don't want to throw it at you too hard because you were not given a warning on this. But Josh, is there a character you'd want to reinterpret in a certain way? So I love Highlander. I love the lore. Um, I also love that like when it's good, it's really good. And then everything else is just like the hottest of ass. And their best Highlander is honestly the mass market um, paperbacks, like the novels that came out in like the 90s, because they get to go deeper on character things um, than the show ever had the time to. Um, and it's very procedural format and they don't have to worry about the budget that the show never had. So they go into all sorts of amazing, like historical fiction, interlacing, like the lore of, you know, with like a, a fan fiction writers, like care for canon and detail. Um, and they're so good. I would love, love a mini with Raish and Vandal um, going through you know, setting, you know, over three or four different time periods, kind of lacing it together um, with them as rivals through, you know, through the Dark Ages, through uh, various, you know, various kind of unexplored historical periods, you know, interacting with some of the more um, fascinating and lesser known historical figures like the Chinese Empress Wu, and just really being able to kind of go deep on them in history with all of this backstory that you know has to be there, but never gets good attention. Are you reading uh, Ram V's Detective? Not yet. I am waiting for, I got the um, first hardcover, I think, on order. Okay, because you'll be very happy with what happened in the most recent issue. I won't say anything more than that, but... That, that Ram V knows how to write some comics. A little bit. I've thought about that as an idea of more, not specifically with Vandal Savage, but a Ra's al Ghul through the generations. I definitely thought he'd run into Savage, but I also thought you could have him run into Immortal Man, Resurrection Man, Jason Blood. It was going to be like each issue would have been him meeting a different other immortal at a different period in time. But I mean, him and Savage would have the most interesting dynamic because of just how... They're both conquerors, but in a very different mindset. Raish believes he wants to save humanity and Vandal just wants it under his heel and will happily kill or destroy anyone or anything. Ask Montevideo. People tend to forget that one. And I think that's one of the things that I love is because if you had it over multiple time periods, um, you know, whether you were doing, um, you know, say two issues in each period or if you were jumping across the four um you know, over each issue, 
you know, there would be times where their interests would align and where they'd come in direct conflict just based on the historical setting. And I think it would be, it would be a, a really fun way to kind of do some of that historical fiction and tie it in deep with, you know, DC um, canon and lore and those two really strong characters. I'm trying to decide if it would be great or a hat on a hat to somehow have Savage reference the his encounters with the time-traveling Bruce Wayne from Return of Bruce Wayne to Raish before he ever encountered Batman. It seems a little too pat that Vandal planted this idea in his head before Raish ever encountered Bruce. But also, it might be kind of fun. So, that that would probably be... It would depend on how well the writer handled that particular note, because that could turn into that one issue of uh, Superman that I think we covered with you, where it was like, let's cram in every little reference to these two characters, and let's get 10 pounds of continuity in a five-pound bag. Yeah, I would want to steer away from probably any of that. I think it would just, because it's so easy to just, you know, try to be cute and then too much, but... Think that I just would love to see them somehow encounter Jason Blood. I, I love Etrigan, so I just think it would be an interesting story to have the two of them run it, the three of them at some point cross paths over some artifact or another. But we are here actually tonight to talk about a villain, but none of the villains that we have just discussed. Not a one. Nope, because tonight, Tonight, Josh wanted to talk about one of the villains that we've not done a spotlight episode on yet. So tonight, it's the Mad Hatter. We'll get into the, the details of these three stories, but the Hatter is a one of those villains whose shtick and personality has shifted wildly over the, the history of the comics. We are avoiding any of the stories tonight that are particularly creepy and pedophile Are we? Are we really? Well, the third one, at least, there are no children directly involved in the third one in, when Hatter is an adult. He's not kidnapping little girls and making them Alice. He's kidnapping grown women and making them Alice. There's at least... Some... Yeah, that's better. That's better. Oh, I'm not saying he's not a creep. I'm just saying he's not a creep who's directly going after children in any of these three stories. What was I? I was listening to something where I can't remember what podcast. It was a podcast or another where they were talking about the Mad Hatter. And the fact that there really are only one or two stories that are really very clearly he's a pedophile, but those are like the uh, Hank Pym backhands Janet Van Dyne stories where this one thing has come to define this character. Most of what the Hatter does is just weird mind control stuff. It doesn't often involve children, but it has just enough times that now he's the pedophile villain. I think one other thing about him too is that it's, it's kind of safe to say that the best Hatter story is an episode of animated series, right? Like there's nothing... I, I can't remember having read anything that comes close to that. Yeah. Again, he's another character that was done best on the animated series. There's a good Gotham Central arc. It's one of the Brubaker arcs, I believe. But it's been a while since I read that one. But we'll get to there someday. 
but we're not doing that tonight. And uh, we are starting off with the very first Mad Hatter story, which is the scoop of the century. This is Batman volume one, number 49. The writer is Bill Finger with pencils by Bob Kane and Lou Serre Schwartz inks by Charles Paris. No colorist is credited lettered by Ira Schnapp. Uh, no editor is credited and it has a cover date of October of 1948. A new villain, the Mad Hatter is stealing from high society, but there's a bigger threat to the Cape Crusader. Photojournalist Vicki Vale, who's begun to suspect that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Excuse me, don't you mean girl photographer? <sighs> Again, it's 1948. The fact that she gets any agency is, is kind of impressive. I completely heard her voice throughout this entire story in that screwball comedy 1940s cadence. Yeah, Charlie, we're going to go. We're going to do this. Yeah. It is so obviously trying to riff on Lois Lane, always trying to figure out if Clark Kent is Superman. It's oh, just yeah. bringing that dynamic to Batman and just she's a photographer and not an, a full on reporter. Hatter is 100% an afterthought in the story. Yeah. An afterthought with some fun set pieces. No, no attempt even to like say who or what this character is. It's just, hey, if we um if we pull something that like people are already familiar with from like another story, then, you know, we just have to draw them and we don't got to say anything else. This is free mind control hatter. Mind control became the hatter shtick in the 80s and then kind of moving forward. Before that, he was just the dude who was all about hats. Mm, death. And, yeah, and even here, he's not even all about hats yet. Here, he's just going to high society galas and clubs and things and just robbing from the rich to give to himself. He has no name, no origin. He's just the Mad Hatter. Kind of clever. Is it isn't his origin much more interesting when he grows up as the son of, of a Hatter? <sighs> yeah, we'll get there. He's another one like Freeze who didn't really have a major origin before this. And I prefer one that is more leans into the science than the hats. Because when he is just kind of this, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. We will get there. But here we have none of that because it's a 12 page story and he's on like four pages because most of this is about Vicky Vale. Most of this is Vicky Vale, who I love at the beginning has like Bruce Wayne's hitting on her and she's like, hey, take a hike, Charlie. I'm here to work. I didn't look it up, but this is very much like her first appearance, right? Yes, this is her both of their first appearance, which you love it when two when a, this weird little story spawns two characters that continue to show up for 50 years, 70 years. There probably would have been other more Hatter centric stories we could have taken for the first one. But it also seemed like, hey, this is the time to, you know. We're doing a Mad Hatter episode. Let's start with the first appearance that I had not read before this because a lot of those gold, the golden age is kind of a 
not a complete blind spot, but Golden Age stories can be kind of rough. And I go back and read a lot of that stuff. And it's not like DC makes it all that easy for you to read them either. Uh, you know, you can't buy this in digital singles. It's only one collected trade uh, where you can get this digitally. It's, uh, what is it? Batman, A Celebration of 75 Years, which, by the way, does have a lot of other good stories that we've already covered. So it's not a bad little book to pick up. You could probably figure that since you two are watching me on Zoom and you've seen my attention divert, that I am um, closing out a never-ending stream of pop-up windows right now. Yep. The only other places it would have been were in the old Chronicles or Archives. It didn't get that far with Chronicles? Chronicles didn't get that far. Because oh, wow. Chronicles only does like two Batmans a um, trade because the detectives were coming out much more frequently. So, and then once you add the world's finest in as well, you start getting like two. Because I, I have a handful of the Chronicles, I like mm-hmm. them. They're good for pulling these. But yeah, so you start getting like two Batmans, one or two world's finest, and it's still like you know four detectives or something. So they just don't they don't get to forty nine because there's a lot more detective comics that comes, which is something I was going to bring up about the art because we're being at Batman forty nine and that we have the OG team of uh, of Finger and Kane here. I thought the art was much more cemented. Like some of the golden age stories we've seen and talked about or that you guys have done and we've pulled up like Batman is still like they're figuring it out. Like it's not like it's work in progress. But looking at the art on him here, like the costume, the design, like it is much more recognizable or closer to Era's you know, that we see later on, it is much more fully formed. And I feel like the art, even with Hatter as well, whatever reference they were using, that it's a, you know, for those two in particular, Bruce and Hatter, that it's a little further along and somewhat higher quality than the really early golden stuff you guys have covered. I think that that's true. I think a lot of that stuff is very proto, very early. It also... One wonders how much pain is here at this point, because the credits on the wiki have Kane and Lou Ser Schwartz, because from what we at this point know about Bob Kane, he drew a tiny amount of what is credited to Bob Kane. And a lot of the early stuff, I wonder how he might have been doing rougher layouts and Poor guys like Jerry Robinson had to work off of Kane layouts. While at this point, it was just his name on the book. And Schwartz was actually really drawing the book. It is a much more polished book. The highs of some of those early books are probably stronger. That The first Joker story is exceptional. But I think that was probably Jerry Robinson just being like, I'm just doing this. Another one, too, where we think of strong reference, like I feel like with these golder ones, the stronger the reference on the art, the more we get where we're really seeing something in terms of like facial features and expressions. Vicky Vale here is very there is no like there's a clear difference in terms of like how much is going into defining or facial uniqueness or characterization on the Vale drawings compared to. Bruce or Hatter. Yes. And Hatter is very referencing the original Tenniel illustrations from Alice. 
And, and the narration points that out too. A man who might have stepped from an illustration of Alice in Wonderland. Like they had to underline it as if you, you didn't get it, kids. Here's what we're doing. They're really angling more than usual. And usually Tetch has a vibe that comes from those illustrations. But here, the oversized head is straight out of Tenniel. Tenniel. I'm not entirely sure how it's pronounced. T-E-N-N-I-E-L. John Tenniel. He's dead, so... Oh, long. Long since. (laughs) As is Lewis Carroll, a.k.a. Charles Dodgson, a.k.a. a real creep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As we talked about before, go look it up, kids. He was into some weird shit. Yeah. We'll we'll just avoid that. But if we were talking about something he actually wrote, he'd be on Problematic Creator Watch. And we'll get there before the end of the episode, too. Uh, I like the visual of the photo when she superimposes the two photos in there. Because, I mean, where there's a sense of it where in some ways, like, we're going so far back that it's like, you know, to be impressed by something that wouldn't be impressive in a comic today like that we know that like oh like this is cool that they you know did this at this level of art but i just i think kind of drawing things superimposed like that just in even in general is i'm always fascinated by and we really don't see i feel like we don't see a lot of things like that we don't see multiple layers in that sense early on in older comics that I can remember. It is definitely a a neat little prick. I also, I had thought initially that when we see the beginning of this issue, when Bruce is in the yacht club, someone here to see you and they invite in Vicki Vale. I thought that that was old school Alfred, but Alfred has already become the Alfred that we recognize now by that point. Alfred was introduced in 43 and changes his appearance only a year later in 44. So he was not the portly Jeeves Alfred for that long, but somehow I thought it was. And I love, by the way, that they actually try to explain that in story, that this is the same guy. He went to a health resort and slimmed down. Oh, no. Yeah, versus just ignoring it like they do with everything else back in those days. Uh, One thing I thought was particularly weird with this story, which obviously says a lot about a Golden Age story. So we get the scene where Vicki Vale is speaking with Batman and she says, I'll call Bruce Wayne and I'll get a date with Bruce Wayne. The very next panel is Batman racing home so he won't miss the phone call. (laughs) You know, again, For the world's greatest detective, he clearly underestimates anyone else's sense of observation because she particularly points out, huh, you've got this cut on your chin when he's Batman. And then he shows up with the same friggin' Band-Aid when he's Bruce Wayne. Could have changed, like, the bandage color or done something. And his, oh, I uh, cut myself shaving. Wow. Bravo. Couldn't go up with anything more creative there, huh, Bruce? I don't know if in 1940s it was meant to be goofy or if it's just how it would be meant today. 
But either way, I love Bruce Wayne in a white sailor's hat. It's a handsome look. He certainly looks like a yachtman in that story at the yacht, in that Pete at the yacht club. I like that when the Hatter sends a, a hat to the the GCPD, they're already like, "Yeah, he's riffing on other villains, trying to give us clues." Even then, they're pointing out that none of these guys are original. We've barely started, and we're already out of ideas. <laughs> It's fun. I mean, I think there's definitely more going on in the storytelling. It's still doing a lot of telling. There's a lot of words, but they're slowly getting away. There's some better art than, I mean, especially the really early stuff where it's just every scene is just a single panel. Like we have moved on from that greatly. You know, the scene where they first enter the theater um, with all the the big Lewis Carroll kind of paintings is really nicely done. Batman uh, jumping, riding a horse through a uh, ring of fire uh, is pretty legit. There's some nice artwork in this one for, you know, and I, I feel like it's it's worth crediting. It's like you said, outside of, you know, that uh, the Joker story in Batman number one, don't find yourself like that's not really what you're giving credit to. It's more like the ideas that would become something else in these early stories. I'd want to go back and revisit some Dick Sprang because I don't think we've covered any Sprang art on here except for maybe a pinup or two. And he had a very distinct style for the Golden Age versus everyone sort of aping Bob Kane. Like Sprang's characters were very distinct. So I'd like to see some of that, more of that early on versus me just seeing later Sprang that he did over the years, lots of pinups, lots of covers. And I also like that Vicky's argument to Bruce, like, well, no, you know what we'll do? I'll photo- photograph you now, and criminals will be so intimidated by how you look, they'll be afraid to. Commit crimes. That's a way to look at that, Vicky. That's, you know. Ha! I'll be Batman's PR. And I'm right. That is absolutely how she's written, right? She's written as a screwball comedy character. Oh, for sure. There is a a Nora Charles sort of vibe here. I mean, her plan to get to prove Bruce is Batman isn't terrible. If she had just stuck with Batman the entire time after she got this phosphorescent powder on his hand she might have actually been able to pull it off i love the last panel where he's like ah i think i pulled the wool over her eyes i can keep seeing her as bruce wayne and her response i think he pulled something i'm gonna stick close to bruce wayne (laughs) this is um definitely on the higher end of the golden age stuff that we've we've covered on this show so far it's not what you want if you're a Hatter fan, but it is a good comedy of manners uh, type story. You know, it's it's perfectly fine. And it's a good introduction for Vicki Vale. It's Absolutely. a better, better introduction for Vicki Vale than it is for the Mad Hatter. Absolutely. So unless either of you have any other thoughts. Ah, uh, that means it's time with Batman 49 Scoop of the Century on the big board. We are well on the way to 300. Barreling Num- down on that some bitch. Yep. Number one, 
is still the post-crisis origin of Batman. Batman Year One. Down at number 50 is Solo Number 1, the Tim Sale Spotlight. Coming in at a sexy 69, it's Batman Number 1, the Joker, and the Joker Returns. At 100 is Homewreckers, Life on Mars, the Batman the Brave and the Bold tie-in comic. Down at 150 is War of the Assassins, the Detective Comics Sensei versus Raish al Ghul for the Control of the League of Assassins story. At 200 is, hey, also Batman number one, The Giants of Hugo Strange. At 250 is The Last Batman story, question mark. And hey, all the way at the bottom, still White Knight. So the, the highest golden age story we have is the, the Joker at 69. And this is, this isn't at that level. That's the first appearance of the freaking Joker. Yeah. I was actually going to ask how you guys felt about it compared to giants of Hugo strange, which I now know is at exactly number 200. The art is definitely less rough than giants of Hugo strange. The art is definitely an improvement there's much less show don't tell because there's a lot of telling in that story as there was with a lot of that. That That's the other reason that that Joker story is so exceptional. There was actually some showing in that Joker story versus all the telling that you get in Giants of Hugo Strange. So I think we got to be between 180 and 200 because 180 is Batman 66, Joker's Comedy of Errors. Yeah, that the, the boners by that point it's gotten even stronger. The art is even stronger. The story is just a freaking delight. Uh so yeah, somewhere in between 180 and 200. I actually might reread this before I reread uh Batman Harley Quinn at 186, that No Man's Land Harley origin. Yeah, that's no good. Uh, 184 is Young Justice 1 to 6. That's more competent in its areas. I mean, just because of the benefit of time, um, but also has, oddly enough, right? Like, this should get credit that this came out in the 1940s and has, aside from Girl Reporter, fewer problematic things than from the late 1990s, Young Justice 1 through 6. That is very true. That is a good point. So if we go above that, right above that is Ablation from the last episode, Gotham Knights number 7, Alfred and Leslie Tompkins' story, which ironically is much more overwritten than this because of all that clunky narration from that first year of Gotham Knights. Ugh. I would put this above that. Okay, above that is Spider-Man, Batman. We're, we're narrowing in on the, the area now. because we're, Okay, we're not going above 180. Right now we're at 182. So 180 is, is boners. 181 is perchance JLA 90, the Batman and Wonder Woman deep dive into Diana's subconscious to oh. see, that's <laughs> when that hits really well that is a really strong issue 
I think, as we said at the time, there's like five different like cutscenes. If they had focused on two or three, it would have probably wound up higher on the list. It's just none of them got enough page space. Well, if they had focused on the one where Bruce aged to a point where he was gonna die and Diana's immortal, or the one where the Joker kills him and we would gotten kind of an injustice thing, or the one where they're Batman and Batwoman as opposed to throwing in some of like the, the weird high mythology ones, if we'd gotten a little more of a narrower focus, that would have, that could have made it up into the one fifties. Ah, Bruce Wayne's last day on the mascara, man, that would have been good. Yeah. More than just a page or two of that. But I think uh, that the highs on that are strong enough to keep it above this. New one eighty two. new one eighty two. Our next story is Unknowing. This is Detective Comics, Volume 1, numbers 758 to 760. The writer is Greg Rucka, with pencils by Sean Martinbraugh, inks by Steve Mitchell and Jesse Delperdang, colors by Wildstorm FX, letters by Todd Klein, and edited by Bob Schreck and Michael Wright. The cover dates are July to September of 2001. The GCPD has always been corrupt, but when cops, good and bad, start committing armed robberies and saying they couldn't control themselves, Batman suspects something more is going on. With the help of Sasha Bordeaux, Batman must find out how the Mad Hatter is controlling the police before his plan comes to fruition. I love the aesthetics here. Is this your first Sasha Bordeaux? You know, I... For some reason, I think I had already read this before. I think because Matt was like, oh, you need to check out those backups. Um, yes, because this lines up with Rubaker and Cook for the, the last two. Yeah. So it's a very strange character, especially in how Bruce interacts with her. And especially if you read the follow-up issue after these three. Where One of her best. She is a strong character. The way that Bruce treats her is weird and uncomfortable. That is something going on in that era. There's something going on with Bruce at this point that starts with Officer Down and he starts to spiral into Bruce Wayne murderer. Right. And that's coming up in like half a dozen issues or something. Yeah. Like at this point, Alfred, he's staying with Tim. Because Tim was sent to a boarding school somewhere outside of Gotham. And Alfred went with Tim because Bruce has been acting weird, even by Bruce standards. Because when Gordon was shot, Bruce starts to spiral. And we'll see that through this era. Ruck is a fucking master of his craft. I'll go back to, and not that this is like the high point of anything he's done, but when he took over Wonder Woman again in Rebirth, Right. And it's it's one of those things to point to at, you know, they were double shipping and, you know, you look at some of the the art challenges or stuff they had keeping up with that. And, you know, Rucka came in on that title just as the pro. And he's like, no, we're going to do every other fucking issue. Like we're going to do two completely separate. Like I'm going to have a flashback story and a present story. We'll have two separate artists. It'll trade fucking great. And he never had any of the, you know, the artists kind of running over each other or one of them getting delayed and holding it up like some of the other books had. 
he just feels like a consummate pro who knows what he's doing. Whenever I go into his adventures of Superman run, his Batman runs, his I mean, hell, even when he did the the Young Cyclops mini over on Marvel. Um, going oh. back and rereading these three, yeah, it's it's funny because it's part of it's like just three out of a much longer story. It's all barreling towards murderer. But yeah, there's just something like no, this is one of those eras where, you know, I know if I pick it up that like I'm getting something solid, like he has a very high floor for me. I absolutely agree. I mean, I've been reading Rucka since Whiteout picked up that trade right after it came out just because somebody at the comic shop said that, you know, you should read this. This is, is good. And I was like, wow. And by that point. I think he might have even started on Batman by the time Whiteout was traded. But at that point, he wasn't doing one of the main books. It might have been during No Man's Land or when he was doing Still and Stuff. It was pre-tech. And I've been following his career since, and I love his stuff. And, well, the aesthetic here, yeah, the 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 muted color palette, they do that for every issue from 742 to 765. It only goes back to full color when they enter murder or fugitive. So it, it, when red collected, it wouldn't be this jarring, different look to just the detective issues. I think just the trade dress from this era sort of signifies like, no, oh, this is something different and good. And, you know, you got these, I suppose at that time, up and coming creators on this with a, a singular vision. And I've read a handful of other books from this period and they they're quite good yeah if you're digging through long boxes they have gorgeous covers you know you know you're getting rucka and yeah that that interior art it's funny i wanted to hear what you guys said about it because it's it's very stylish and there's something about like i'll be reading some pages and i'll get to like the face things will feel off and i'm like ah like do i really like because it's not exactly my type and then like i'll go two panels later and there's like some amazing one i'm like nah fuck it i love it it's something that i think because it's not your typical you know um especially for a big title like detective you know your, your typical house style that you don't get as much on these but it really works for what rucka was doing yeah martin broad does most of this run i think rick burchett does a few f- you know, when he's when he's not doing it, they've got Rick Burchett, who's another great creator. There are some outstanding issues in this run. We will, at some point, cover the Jim Gordon's retirement dinner issue, which is so good. There's a one-off starring Montoya that bridges the gap in between what happened between her and Two-Face in no man's land and half a life that moves that relationship to the point where half a life makes sense. And I love because this art is slightly stylized Hatter works here. There are stories where Hatter, when you've got a really realistic artist, the weird proportions and things that you can often get with the mad Hatter looks weird. Because he's a stylized character. But here, the art is somewhat stylized, so he fits a little better. Also, Martin Broad doesn't draw him as incredibly deformed. He's just kind of short, and he's got a big nose. But he's not 
tiny, that as diminutive as other artists draw him. And that's wildly inconsistent over Ketch's appearances. Yeah. No, he's he's like Tom Cruise short, not like Tyrion Lannister short. Yes, exactly. This is a Rucka story. This is a procedural, there's a mystery element to it. He's got plenty of Alan and Montoya and Bullock characters that he clearly loves and Sasha who is his point of view character throughout and we get those Gotham Central we get Stacy we get yes. um yeah we have uh Aikens this is probably I feel like outside of Gotham Central one of the better Aikens yes. stories moments yes this is er- so early I like the exchange he has with Bruce about not disapproving of him on principle, but believing the GCPD needs to stand on its own two feet more. That's a reasonable answer. This isn't a Batman agrees. Yeah, exactly. He's not a rabidly anti-vigilante. We're not covering it here, but one of the backups in these three issues is like the Aikens flashback to when he was a younger cop dealing with the vigilante stuff. We get that. I think it's in one of the backups to these three issues. Yeah, it's the the first issue is that it's a Brubaker. And then right out of that, the next two are the first two parts of uh, on the trail of Catwoman from Brubaker and Darwin Cook. Boy, those detective comics backups throughout this era are wildly inconsistent. These ones are all great. There's the Judd Winnick, Cliff Chang, Josie Mack ones, which are really good. But then the one they started with, I can't remember what it was called, but it had nothing to do with Batman, which I'm not necessarily against. You could do another crime, but it was nine or ten parts and it went on for freaking ever. I can't remember, but I just remember being like, oh, when will this thing end? And we are at this point. I think the next issue is when IAD comes after Bullock for selling out the guy who killed Jim Gordon or shot Jim Gordon. So, yeah, we're getting to that point where Bullock's about to quit the force because we're only a couple issues after Officer Down by this point. Again, we're in the heart of this period where the GCPD is is changing drastically around Bruce. Matt, you've you've referenced the story a thousand times now. When are we going to read Officer Down? We'll do it soon. I think it, it's about time that we did Officer Down. Okay. Speaking of wildly inconsistent by the part, that's another one that has the uh, the war games. No, nowhere near as long, but it's one where it's like. Wow, this issue's great. What the fuck happened with this issue? Oh, this <laughs> next one's great. The, you know, the ones written by Brubaker and, and Nunzio de Filippis. Great. And then there's some, and I think the art is also like all over the place during that particular crossover. It's only, I think, nine parts, 10 if you include the non-numbered Batgirl tie-in, which we will because there's nowhere else to cover it. And I believe it's a silent issue. So it won't, take up a ton of extra reading time to get that one up to 10. But yeah, just going back and reading is like, oh, right. This is when Bullock is the lieutenant in charge of major crimes because it used to be Sarah and 
Oh yeah. Uh, and no man's land that, that, Oh yeah. They promoted Bullock at that point. Oh boy. So have we hit the plot on this? I don't think we've hit the plot. No, we haven't. We've just been discussing <laughs> art and stuff. Yeah. The plot, which I think I got pretty, I, I mean, was in the synopsis is that cops are just suddenly committing armed robbery and Batman breaks up three cops robbing, robbing a betting parlor. And then Montoya and Alan, who are investigating it, realize, oh, there's nearly 30 other similar crimes that just Batman didn't break up. And the local units that should have been covering it were all on their coffee break at the time. That's weird. Yeah, it's really interesting that, um, you know, how surprised they were to find out that a third of the police force was committing crimes. I'd be surprised that it was that small an amount. Let's be fair. This is Gotham. At least we're doing it this obviously, maybe. I do actually love that they brought the real numbers in, though. That they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, okay, so a third, that's not big. They're like 6,000 people. We're going to have 6,000 fucking people go crazy. Oh, oh, yeah, that sounds bad. Yeah, that's that's bad. And, And then Montoya and her partner rob a strip club. Yeah, exactly. While reciting... I actually I looked it up because I mean it's obviously Lewis Carroll because mm-hmm. it's the Mad Hatter and that is his thing. But it's it's part of hunting a snark, but it's a very specific bit of that Carroll poem that they're reciting. And of course Bruce hears it and he's like, Oh fuck, it's Tetch. Mad Hatter isn't even hiding it that well. I mean, when you've got them reciting Lewis Carroll. Who else is it going to... Well, actually, there's a lot of Wonderland-themed villains the, in Gotham. The poorly hidden... This is going to show up in the third story again, but, like, okay, it was fairly well hidden that, like, okay, the coffee guy with the card, like, you wouldn't have seen him and been like, oh, shit, this is Hatter. But when we get to the third story, like, how poorly hidden Hatter is in that <laughs> one, it's like, come, come on, guys, for fuck's sake. The, this one had the benefit of... You needed the card and you had to drink the coffee. Yeah, I'd have been fucked. They'd have had me. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, we don't get a lot of the details. There's no comic book science. Just, oh, well, you had to have the card and drink the coffee. Right. It's some some kind of nanotech in the coffee and the card is the receiver and boom, there you go. I didn't know Tetch was into nanotech. There's nothing in the file about that. It's time to, uh, time to update the file. This is the beginning of... Maybe not the beginning of it. We start seeing Tetch. His science gets crazier and crazier as we move on to the point where you get in Eternal where he's got nanite swarms and is taking over vast swaths of Gotham. Although the question I did have by the end here is what was his end game? Was it just chaos? Because we don't see what he really had planned. He starts the broadcast, 6,000 cops go nuts, and then Batman finds him sitting by the receiver, giggling into his tea. So we don't know exactly what his... Is this a mind control cops, start chaos, question Profit. Profit, <laughs> exactly. Yes. I also find it really interesting, like, and again, not to... I'm going to keep doing whatever, the third one, like, because we're going to get there, but... Tetch, obviously, okay, if 
he's at the if we're dealing with the brilliant mind control technology catch like the guy who can do this with you know the card and the coffee and like you know pseudoscience magic or whatever he could be rich anytime he wants how much money he makes in the third story like how like for what yeah the stuff in the gcpd here is great i really love the rapport that is built and still building because they've only been partners for about a year now between Alan and Montoya. They only become partners post No Man's Land and No Man's Land was 742. So we're only a year and change out of No Man's Land because Bullock was her partner and then got promoted. And so he was a Metropolis cop and he mentions it here. You know, we got freaks in Metropolis too. Like, yeah, not like our. That was something I was curious about. Will, with your noted aversion to things like John Ridley's use of mask, did the fact that Montoya and Alan repeat, for over the course of three issues, maybe half a dozen times, talk about the freaks, did that jump out at you or did that just... No, because that felt natural, I think. Ridley's like masks and basically anything else that sean gordon murphy writes it it always comes off as forced to me mask never felt like authentic cop slang in gotham but i could very easily see like freaks or weirdos or fuck it perverts any of that feels natural i mean i don't know what a real life gotham cop would call batman and his you know a sort of gang of vigilantes but masks just never felt right to me we mentioned her at the beginning but we should probably dig a little into sasha bordeaux a little more deeply because this is right after sasha figured out that bruce was batman and i'm trying to remember if eventually it's revealed that he let her or if it was always that she because the way she finds out is pretty lazy on Bruce's part, because she's taken her on a, a business trip. I believe, I think it's it's either Metropolis or DC because it's during a crossover between Detective and Superman, where they're trying to retrieve the Kryptonite ring from Luthor, and she basically goes through his luggage, finds the secret bottom in the luggage, and finds a Batman costume. So it struck me as a very lazy, Bruce being very lazy if he's leaving the costume that easy to be found. But I'd have to go back, because maybe it's it's one of those things where in my own head, I'm headcanoning that he let her find, because it just seems out of character for him to make it that easy to find the costume. I mean, this is the same guy who forgot to change his Band-Aid uh, after he met Vicky Vale. <laughs> that is true. But Sasha's a great character. She is the prototypical Rucka character. Rucka has a type, this badass female character. Montoya, and his take on Montoya, Kate Kane, they all fall into a broad strokes archetype. They're not the same character. They all have very distinct specifics. But he has this, this archetype of the powerful female character, usually unpowered. I mean, he does Wonder Woman as well, but Wonder Woman is an archetype in her own right. His take on Lois is somewhat in this camp. 
think if his lowest was ever uh, his lowest might be the only one outside of him where I feel like so many of them too we see that they are you know this strong more than capable female keeping up with the guys but you know we as as reader only get to see the self-doubt and the quieter moments I feel like Lois might have been one of the exceptions to that but definitely here with Sasha Stumptown another Montoya is the the Mm -hmm. big example and and Kate Kane and when detective goes for um into Batwoman for sure those are so good and oh yeah and not all of them but a vast majority are queer Lois is again the exception and Sasha I don't think we ever get any indication that Sasha is bisexual but but most uh, Dex Parios is Montoya, Montoya, Kane, yeah, uh, Etta, Etta, Tara Chase. I can't remember. I think there might be, but Tara Chase, as far as I know, was always in relationships. As far as I remember, was only in relationships with men in Queen and Country. But it again, a lot of them are strong queer female characters, which especially when Rucka was writing in the early two thousands, that was not as common as we see it now. That was absolutely an archetype that Rucka was like, yeah, I want to see these characters in my comics. And so he went full steam ahead on Sasha continues after she leaves detective. I mean, she's the lead in his checkmate, one of the co-leads in his checkmate, which is a vastly underrated series. And he writes a damn fine Amanda Waller, probably second only to Ostrander and how good his wall is. Anything else in here that jumps out at y'all before we move on? Do we have to? We could we could just call it a night and we could all have just a nice experience and just a, a, a fun fellowship here and we wouldn't have to scream about anything terrible or how hormones <laughs> caused a young boy to become a villain for the rest of his life or... No, we we've got to we got to do. Three. Will you yourself are the one who has firmly Here. said that list has got to stay evenly divisible by three. You are jumping the transphobic gun, my friend. Uh we could we could do four next episode. No, no, we we've got to. All right, if we must, that means it's time for the knowing on the big board. So I am scrolling up. Yeah, it's a fun little story. Uh, yeah. But one thing about the, my list, and I probably should start putting creator credits so I can easily search for other stories by the these creators. Low opening bid, I will say top 125. Oh, you definitely. got Killing Joke? Yeah, that's a good question. Killing Joke is now at 109. My default answer is always above Killing Joke. Yeah, I agree. Okay, that's a better question. Oh, that's up way high. Okay, I was gonna say I wanted to remember where we put uh, Half a Life, the Montoya Two Facer. That's a twenty-two. This is really good. This is not twenty-two good. And Heikatia is at twenty-eight. Yeah, those opening arcs of Gotham Central are. They're so good that you apologize for liking propaganda, like. Yeah, it's it's hard. Gotham Central in general, it's like, oh, I know what you're doing, but who? This is such good comics, such good comics. All right, let's see. 
looking at, I don't think this beats just because we talked about it a minute ago, the first Joker story at 69. Uh, no, but I mean, I'd say this is easily better than Nightfall Part 2 at 83. Yes. Or 81, Made of Wood, Brubaker, the dual narratives of Batman and Golden Age Green Lantern investigating a crime while Jim Gordon is also investigating the same crime. Also a procedural kind of GCPDE, although it's private citizen Jim Gordon versus Commissioner Jim Gordon. That's a solid story. Yeah, I think we're in the right area because above that is Batman versus Predator. Above that is my beginning and my probable end. Not as good as my beginning and my probable end. Below that is uh, It Takes Two Wings, a favorite of yours, Josh. How does this line up with uh, It Takes Two Wings? Um, It Takes Two Wings, Made of Wood, Nightfall. It Takes Two Wings is so much fun. This is on its own, like, because this, I like this. I think the kind of this era, what I think of, I like better. I'm not sure that this particular three issue snapshot i don't know i love i love bad fascist man i i i i I think that that one is that one has something a little more special you know the quality might be a little higher on this if you know i don't know where the time curve fits like we're in the right area for sure i think we can default to our guest on this one and make this the new 83 what do you think will Sounds good to me. There we go. Although we could stall and argue for another 30 or 45 minutes. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. Well, we've, we've made it this far, so there's no way out but through. The final story of the night is mad. Fucking sucks. <laughs> this is Batman the Dark Knight, Volume 2, numbers 16 to 21. The writer is Greg Hurwitz. Pencils by Ethan Von Skyver and Simon Kudransky. Inks by Von Skyver and Kudransky. Colors by Hi-Fi Design. Letters by Desi Sienti and Dave Sharp. And edited by Mike Martz, Ricky Purden, and Darren Shan. Cover dates are March to August of 2013. Two men, two women. Bruce Wayne may have finally found love in concert pianist Natalia Trusevich. Jervis Tetch cannot let go of the memory of one day with a girl named Alice. Tragedy will entwine these two in a tale that details the new origin of the Mad Hatter. Usually I find it best to just let Will go to begin with, and then we'll fill in from there. Hold on, I'll let... Because we've got Problematic Creator Watch here, oh, right? Yes. I was waiting for Problematic Creator Watch because we've got scumbag extraordinary Ethan Van Syver on this one. Truly reprehensible human being. I, th- I think we said before when we did one with him, his art that, you know, he's he's probably number two on the Problematic Creator Watch and number one is someone that, you know, you won't even cover on the show. Yeah. So, I mean, like, he's pretty high ranking. So. Cyber's problematic creator wise. As we've said, he's the highest one who's not in jail. Yeah. He is the patron. Yet. He is the, the Comics Gate spokesman, the one who started this 
whole thing, the one who champions it. Here's here's my question, though, in terms of problematic creator watch. Is having written this comic enough to put Greg Hurwitz on the problematic creator watch for future episodes? Okay, so so this 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 has some very and like yeah, yeah you 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 know you're laughing at we got we got into this earlier. If this was written now, I would absolutely think he was the scum of the earth. But I will give him the benefit of the doubt. This being Matt, what year was this again? Uh, 2013. Oof. Yeah, it's not Simpler that times. long ago. Yeah, um, but if the this... only benefit of the doubt he had was that no one was fucking reading this comic. Yes, this you got to think this is the first bat title to be canceled out of the new Fifty Two. Most of those books made it to Fifty Two. This one makes it to Twenty Nine. Yikes! And by the way. Maybe not in a a, a problematic way, but in a just general story quality way. Not the worst arc of this book that does something similar. The previous arc does a new 52 origin for Scarecrow that basically is like, yeah, so his father was like a proto-scarecrow who tortured his son with fear stuff that made him into the scarecrow. And at some point he like sews his own mouth shut. It is this book tried to be the psychological horror bat comic. I love the concept for this book. I would love a book like this that gives us deep arcs of like pathos. If it wasn't a flaming bag of dog shit, I would love it done like in responsible hands. Like where else are we getting like six issues of like deep pathos of Hatter? On It's this. Hurwitz wrote this book from issue eight or nine, the beginning of that Scarecrow arc. So that was 10 through the end and a five issue penguin miniseries that did the new 52 origin of the penguin that is in an episode I already have planned with weird ass new origins for villains in the new 52. So that Um, one, the Mr. Freeze origin. So if you have the, um, the collected edition of this as I do, Oh. Um oh. it comes with uh Dark Knight Annual Number One by Horowitz, which actually is a little cheeky and fun. And it's kind of like a follow-up to his Scarecrow, um, Hatter, and Penguin stories. And so it features the three of them in Arkham, um, all kind of scaring themselves. Like it has like their own background fears so like there's some flashbacks to those but at the end it 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 does have a a good fun like legit ending it's been a long time yeah the the other episode i only remember it because i saw it like two hours ago the 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 new 52 villains origin episode is the mr freeze origin by snyder and tinyan which at least has some value to it and it's an interesting take than the penguin I'm a big mini- fan of that 
the Penguin miniseries, and then the new 52 Two-Face origin from Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin is a book in general out of the new 52 I really liked. That Marcy, arc... Marcy, another consummate professional. Yeah, absolutely. That arc, not a fan. I felt like that was editorially... We want to we want to give all these characters new origins, so we want you to do something different with Two Face, and it's like, oh, and it just did not work. Two Face's origin is so spot on that changing it the way they did did not work. But we're doing that thing where we don't talk about the book because we don't want to talk all right. about the book. All right, all right. So let me oh, let me let me stretch for this. <laughs> Everything about this is bad. Um, it starts on the very first couple of pages when the layouts are just insufferable. I hate them. I hate the layouts. Book was painful to read. And that's the best it gets. That is the absolute best. The first couple of pages where all you have to worry about is the layouts. That's It gets no better from there. We are introduced, or at least I'm introduced, to Batman's greatest love, who I presume was... A character in this series up to this point introduced in uh, issue 10 she's been around for six issues before this ah well they are just passionate lovers and uh she does the oh i i'm not getting the real you story that we've seen before uh but then batman decides oh I will show you the real me and reveals uh his true nature to her uh at which point you know she's gonna die and uh, sure enough, she dies. She is dropped out of a helicopter to land on the bat signal. Ooh, symbolism. Points. Thankfully, you know how hard that would be to land, like to get her exact points for that. Like, oh, it's it's a one in a million shot. Degree um, of difficulty up there. Uh, but this is this is an issue uh, where she does fall out of this helicopter that Van Skyver has just randomly fucked off. And so we've got this other artist who believes, I, I think, that uh, what he cannot draw on the page, he can either cover in shadow or cover with light. So that... we get an issue that is nothing but dark or white, which was fun. Welcome um, to Simon Kudransky's work. That is what he does. He also draws that Penguin miniseries. I've seen him do a lot of stuff. His stuff works best when it's like a hardcore like horror comic where the shadows are a thing. You know, where like there are monsters hiding in the shadows and such. Here it's just muddy. Yeah, that's that's all it is. But then thank God, you know, douchebag of the world, Vince Skyver comes back. Let's see what else. Okay, so this is supposed to be some some gritty retelling of the origin for uh, Jervis Tetch here. Um, so he grows up the son of of a hatter, uh, and his parents are great. They are loving. They are they are nothing but adoring and and wonderful. And they want to help their son uh, who has a, a growth deficiency. And Matthew, I learned something... so much about haberdashery from this book. Yeah. Okay, here's a question that I had reading this whole thing. Never once, for some reason, do we see the Tetch's faces. They are constantly shot from behind or their heads. And I don't think we see their, not just their face, we don't see their heads. And I don't understand why that was. What story reason, <laughs> other than you maybe want, you're doing an Alice in Wonderland off with their heads thing? 
uh you you got me those those were the the vance guyver issues so at least he could draw faces it's the the anti-liefeld where like how come they have no feet so uh little touch here has this growth deficiency and he's trying to score with the ladies uh but his friends are all really cool with him they're like oh we we love you little guy we don't care that you're little one of them Uh, attempted murder to kid with a bat to the head for him it was a wiffle ball bat, so at least there's that. Uh, but the kid did get knocked down with it, so uh, yeah. But yeah, so then uh, the doctor says, oh, but wait, wait, young Jervis, we have this drug, but I I don't think you really want this drug. I don't think you want this drug. Jervis is like, no, I want this drug. Tell me about it. Well, it's this testosterone booster um, that might uh, make you grow some, but uh, it might also fuck up your brain. His parents are like, we don't want, we don't know about that, bud. But he's like, no, give it to me. I want it. And so they're like, okay, we'll give it to you. And it fucks up his brain. The symptoms that might happen are a perfect description of all the things that the Mad Hatter is. It's just like, okay, so you're basically reverse engineering his pathology through this drug. Through hormone therapy. Yes. Oh, oh, but he's not... Uh, you know, grown-up adult uh, Tetch is not presumably on hormones anymore. He's on his teats. Yes. That which he's... is quite possibly one of the dumbest fucking things I've ever read in a comic book. Oh, he has certain teas that he can brew to give him strength or rage or energy. Sometimes he just mixes and matches the teas. Sometimes he takes them all. Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't mention this, but for a moment of something to circle back to from the Rucka story. Montoya, I think it was Montoya and Allen, or maybe it was Batman. Somebody was, no, it was Batman talking to Sasha. And he says that people who are mind controlled by Tetch tend to have heightened strength. I like that. But the thing about it that I kind of wish they did is it's not that they have heightened strength. It's that since they're being mind controlled, they no longer understand the limits of their body so they're just doing shit that would a normal person the pain receptors would just stop them from doing it but they're flying at 100 percent. exactly that you're not being careful to not wrench your back or tear your rotator cuff or whatever so yeah you're hitting harder but you're also destroying your own body in the process i think it Pulling that extra little thread would have been a nice touch. No, Tetch becomes fucking Prometheus so he can fight Batman. Yeah. In this story, it's like, what the ever-loving fuck do these these drugs suddenly allow him to fight in God mode? Is there any um, other misogyny or transphobia oh. or um, issues that I feel like you couldn't have gotten to all of them, Will? Like, you haven't been ranting long enough. Well, I, I mean, there's when he finds... His Alice, when she's a grown woman. Ah, oh, yeah, that was nice. The and I use this term because it is the what the artist is the artist and the writer is clearly doing. She is every white trash stereotype with the the paunchy belly and the cigarette dangling out of the corner of her mouth and the thinning hair. She looks like something out of central casting when you're just being lazy and it's like, yeah, we need uh, the trailer trash. And her husband is, again, he's got, I think he's got a mullet. And it's like, they are such a bad stereotype. 
Oh, but hey, she doesn't hang around for long because Detch murders her violently. He kills a lot of fucking people in this one. Oh, like, oh, like Wolverine level body count. Yeah. This puts him in Joker levels of violent and crazy. So the core plot here is that Mad Hatter has been abducting scores upon scores of Gothamites using his uh, his hats uh, and luring them off to his underground missile base that Batman has some hard time finding for some reason. So once they're all down there, he can properly cast them so that he can relive his high school dream girl fantasy uh, for his one perfect day that he had with her before she was like, no, man, I just I just want to be friends. So, yeah, let's no, I don't want to date. I'm sorry, bud. So, again, he's abducting hundreds of people so he could properly cast them into the roles that he's destined them to play until he just kills them very all. cleverly, very cleverly um, doing this through, you know, an imperceptible stand titled Crazy Hats. Crazy hats, yes. Popping up all over Gotham. Were very popular. Who'd have thunk it? The part about this plot that doesn't make any sense, apart from the other parts that don't make any sense, is that Batman just doesn't seem to be in any kind of big hurry to find all these people. The story just kind of plots along until they all turn up dead. And then it's like, oh, shit, all these people washed up dead in the harbor. I guess that was kind of a big deal. I probably should have been looking for all of these missing, kidnapped people. That is not fair. Batman still didn't care until his girlfriend got fridged. And he didn't even particularly care about her. That's the weirdest thing about... So she dies, splayed on the bat signal, and then the next issue opens up with him just doing his regular-ass narration. Astoundingly weird. And I've said this, and I... I understand. Will you said you like the the idea that Batman is kind of always looking for an off ramp that he's kind of always one right moment away from giving up being Batman. One good day. And this was this was it. This was it. This was gonna this was gonna close it out. It was but, he's gonna bring the Hatter in and he's gonna hang up the cowl. But the thing about that is that I I don't necessarily agree that he's always one good day away from becoming just Bruce Wayne, but it's a valid story too, but you gotta give me something. And for all of its myriad, myriad faults in the very last issue, the first five issues of Widening Gyre really build the relationship between Bruce and Silver St. Cloud. And since you also have the grounding from Strange Apparitions, it kind of works. Now, granted, I haven't read that god-awful Scarecrow story in a number of years, but nothing here gives me the feeling that this is the woman who would be the one to change Batman's life. And let's not forget, she is a Ukrainian refugee, and there are references, you know, all the the things that were done to me as a child, the unspeakable things that I cannot think about. It's like, oh my god, why did you need to fucking go there? Yeah. So I like that um he calls Alfred Penny one when he's Batman and it reminds me of Eternal, which I I, I really enjoyed because I read that after you guys read it and I had a lot of fun in that. So that was something. 
Yeah. Oh, and, and let's not also forget that Batman has a data mining software. Uh, I have always felt like a lot of the the Batarang, the Batmobile, those names, those come from Dick when he became Robin. That is something that Robin started calling them, and it just kind of stuck. I, I don't see Bruce cleverly naming the computer software. It, it seems like a bit much. Okay, so non-negatives. None. Zero. <laughs> there were a couple... It, it was It was not an issue longer. I feel like there were a couple issues of, like, clever back and forth. It'd be, like, maybe four panels in a row where you didn't cringe, and you'd be like, okay, that was kind of clever, and then they'd do something really fucking cringy and blow it, but, um... That happened a couple times. There was, was it, I don't know, one of the Tweedles I yeah. kind of liked. There was this scene where he's talking about how, you know, you swung in through a fucking uh, stained glass window and, you know, kicked me in the fucking jaw. I spent 11 hours and so, you know, all of the bone fractures, all of the debt, like the kind of unthought of, like, because Batman just swings in and puts boots in guys' faces and, like, the damage after. I, I thought that could have been something more if then you didn't have this really weird kind of out of touch like next time i'll rip your fucking jaw off from batman response and he did he did <laughs> and he did next time he ripped his jaw off that yep. yeah. batman's initial response after that whole screen is yes and two people died in that robbery one was a father of two and if he had just left it at that that would have been the response but then the out of touch, you know, I'm going to rip off your jaw. It's like, really? I mean, is Batman not? I mean, talk about pot calling the kettle black. Is there anyone who has focused more on their own trauma from an event where two other people died than Batman? No. The yeah, this Peter Parker, but it's only one there. It's <laughs> Uncle Ben. This issue literally cannot do anything good. I'm like, I, I absolutely agree with you. That is a, a fun little panel. But then, like, as you said, Matt, like, it it goes farther than it has to in that moment. And then, you know, an issue or two later, it's that graphic-ass Tweedledee or Tweedledum, Tweedledum-Dee. This Batman fucking punches his jaw off. Like, for so many of the things that happen in this story... Hatter gouging a guy's eyes out. Um, Hatter kills a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Somewhere in the middle, it's definitely one of the Vinskyver issues, there's like a one or two page interlude where Catwoman shows up for no goddamn reason. Uh, uh, early to, to, uh, to draw them taters is what the reason is. Early New 52 Catwoman was the fucking world. Oh that whole period where they, they don't know each other's identities anymore. But they fuck with the masks on. Exactly. Oh. And, and she's like, she's like sticks out her tongue and hits him with a hubcap off the Batmobile. And this is here because Vince Skyver wanted to draw a sexy Catwoman. There's zero reason for this to be here. Yeah. The stained glass thing, though, is funny because since I did go on and read that annual after, um, Penguin has a great line in that um, 
the annual, the follow-up to this that's in the trade, where he's like, you know, when we get out of it, because they're all in Arkham, he's like, when we get out of here, we should just open up a stained glass repair business. We'll be fucking, Batman will keep us all fucking rich forever. Okay, that is a good line. And, okay, so the tweeds are there with Hatter, but is it just me that there were a lot of very similar-looking, big, sort of, wide thugs who were weren't more than two tweed looking motherfuckers yeah there were i think six it was like wait are those the tweeds again wait no they're wearing different clothes they're just other guys who just look like the tweeds a personal quibble do not like that pets like brutally murders his pet rabbit as a child that was just you and then gets sent to the Arkham Detention Facility for Youth. Yeah. That was a that that has not existed anywhere before or after. And I am glad. There's just there's so much cringe in here, like the staple gunning the blonde wig Ooh, on the head. Yeah. There's some nice things with the colors in some of the scenes, especially the 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 um psycho T stuff, but like it's a shit show. Oh, and the, the momentary reference to Damien's death, because this was right around the time that Damien had died. Or it's yeah, like, that was like 18 or 19, wasn't it? Yeah, Damien, the, the other Bat titles had their issues that dealt with that at 18. So this 18 is was like, the Requiem issues, yeah. Yeah, so and this was, I think, 19, because this one didn't get a Requiem issue, because this one was slightly out of step with all the other books. But I'm afraid I'll lose Natalia like I lost Damien. It's like, it seems like a kind of callous thing to say about your son who was just brutally murdered. Maybe you should take some time and mourn your kid before you do any other emotional heavy lifting. But I like all the sex. Hmm. Yeah, I'm flipping through the pages trying to find anything good. Again, there's nothing. We could say the Vince Giver art is good, but he is a literal bag of douche. He is mm. a terrible human being. And so I'm not going to sit here and say that his art somehow makes this readable because it doesn't. It's not the best Vince Giver art either. He's really leaning in. He's having fun leaning into the ugly in ways that like are too much. And let's also, by the way, not forget that Bruce surreptitiously put a tracker on his girlfriend and like watches her wander through the city to make sure she got home okay i am a nervous fucking person i do not sleep well until i know that my partners are in and safe if i'm away i want to know that Amber is is in for the night. I just want a text that says, hey, I'm home. He might still be out for all I know, but I want to know, I want the comforting feeling of getting that text to say, hey, I'm in. Lie to your boy. Lie to him. I'm not going to get that find your friends app and, you know, stalk her on my phone. That's unhealthy. Shock of shocks. Greg Hurwitz has Batman having some weird unhealthy thing where he's just flat out following her around on the bat computer and this is always a question i have when we see this how heavily should alfred lean into the 
I want you to give up being Batman thing. Because this is an Alfred who's chomping at the bit for Bruce to give up being Batman. He's mentioning it. He's encouraging it. He's pushing it on him pretty hard. Even at the end, after she's died, he's like, you know, I know that she's not here anymore, but maybe you should still consider giving up being Batman. Oh, oh, but Bruce takes that that month off. That whole month. Could you imagine what would happen to Gotham if Batman took a freaking month off? And like, again, I, either quit or don't. That's a weird ass idea. We saw that because No Man's Land's three months later and the city went to friggin' hell. And again, he gives up being Batman for a month because this woman he's known for a few weeks died. His son died. And he's like, eh. And he rounded up and beat the fuck out of every petty crook in Gotham. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, but to answer your question, I think it really just has to be an unspoken, unstated thing. Like, of course, Alfred doesn't want Bruce to be Batman. He wants him to be home and safe and not have to worry about him. But he's also not going to, like, try to convince him because he knows that it would be useless. Alfred wants him to be safe and Alfred wants him to be at peace. And unfortunately for Bruce Wayne, those two things are completely in contradiction and conflict with each other. He knows no other way of moving towards peace than his quest against crime. Yeah, it's his his crusade. His crusade. His war. Yeah, exactly. And Alfred just talking about it over and over again is so heavy handed. And it also gives the impression that Alfred doesn't see the value in what he does. That's the the great line from the Father's Day annual where Alfred, you know, Leslie Tompkins says that, you know, this is a thankless task. And he's like, no, every time I walk through the city and see these happy families living their lives, I feel their thanks. Alfred gets why Bruce has to be Batman. He doesn't have to like it. He doesn't have to want his son to be the one who's doing it, but he understands why it needs to be done. I love the kind of comparison of just this idea that we're talking about of Alfred wanting Bruce to like find a girl and settle down and be happy to um, it's just making me think of from Tom King's run uh, issue 49, the Joker Selena issue before the wedding. Where Joker fucking gets right away, like, absolutely not. You are not. A, you make him happy, you're going to fucking ruin him, and he's going to get killed. Like, he's going to get killed, and I won't have anyone to play with anymore. No. The opera, you know, which is just such a great fucking, like, that insight from Joker in comparison to, you know, Alfred's like, no, but if he's happy, he won't take as many risks, or he won't be, eh. No, he'll be happy, and I won't get to have fun. I'm just scanning my notes to see if... I have anything else. Best line in the um, comic, Jim Gordon. He's not a bat anymore. He's a freaking pterodactyl. Oh, we mentioned it casually. You mentioned it. But yeah, Hatter has this massive sprawling business empire. It's not just crazy hats. It's this one size ink that controls nightclubs and all of these things. It's like, 
He caught up like 20% of Gotham in real estate. Like he's like, couldn't he just pay people to be in his weird wonderland? That's how those things worked. It's not like people were at the original amusement park because they just wanted to be. No, they were paid to be. Just pay people, you deranged little shit. How did he make his money? Why are you asking? Question mark. Profit. How did he invent the mind control technology? Why are you asking? Right. At least like the animated series, or that's what he did. He was a scientist working on mind control who also happened to have the Alice in Wonderland thing. Versus nah, nah. Well, we haven't gotten to that, but that so this kind of like squarely fucks that concept as well. That like we start with this as Tetch is. Yes, Tetch is this brilliant fucking like neuroscientist engineer or whatever that can make these things. But then by the end, we've gone, no, he took hormones and now he's just a deranged fucking psycho murderer. Like who, like now you're telling me this guy has his PhD or something or like his, like the fuck like this, he can't shit straight anymore. Like what? Deranged psycho murderer junkie because he's, constantly on chemically laced tea see he was uh when he was in high school and he started taking these uh these hormones his uh his hair fell out so then he started wearing these funny hats that is uh that his, that his pa made and uh yeah he became the mad hatter and there you go. again this also firmly that the alice in wonderland thing becomes all about this girl it's like the one good day was the, the, the day at the Wonderland theme park. So his whole Mad Hatter pathology, I mean, I guess, yeah, his dad was a hatter, but it comes from that one good day. And it's like, that's up there with, you know, Jonathan Crane picking on the bullies from high school in that's a really sad villain motivation. I, I think we can we can wrap this up. Yeah. This was this was terrible, and you're welcome. It doesn't even it doesn't even deserve my enthusiasm for putting it on the big board. So uh, it's time to put this shit biscuit, <laughs> Batman: The Dark Knight numbers, fuck it to to whatever on the big board. And I swear to God, if either of you suggest we should we should place it anywhere, uh, but outside the bottom five, I'm walking off set. I mean, well, Matt already said that like it's not it it has nothing as competent as the early issues of Widening Gyre, so we're we're below that. I mean, well, could this do it? Could this dethrone White Knight? Like I said, the one thing I have going for it, or it has going for it, is that it's not as long as White Knight. <laughs> That's true. White Knight is one issue longer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a solid tiebreaker. It is the same length as Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves, directly above it. I I think I think the Van Skyver. I'd put this at two sixty five. If I had my druthers, you guys just did the surrogate recently. At least I feel like not too long ago, and that was cringy as fuck too. Yeah, that was cringy as fuck. But that was also only three issues. 
and that had at least one really good scene. The final scene with Bruce and Leslie in the garden where she she can say all she wants that I want you to stop being Batman. That's what Leslie's there for. And that that statement, you know, you with your hands, you could be a surgeon. You could honor your father in that way. That's a nice sentiment. And there's a couple of those early flashbacks in there that are nice, too. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. With those hands, you could be a surgeon is better than he's a freaking pterodactyl. <laughs> I could see someone saying with those hands, you could be a surgeon. I cannot see anyone ever saying he's a fucking pterodactyl. Jim Gordon. Jim, yeah, Jim Gordon. Jim Gordon. I think this goes right above White Knight. It is bad. It's real bad. And I, I'm i going to need some time before we go back to Batman, The Dark Knight. <laughs> Will's not going to let me on the show anymore. <laughs> well, hey, we also read The Rucka, and as long as you don't make us read that Scarecrow arc. So I remember I, I kind of presented this one to you guys like early on when we first started, just as like a hatter. And I had, I don't know, I think I maybe read this six months to a year before that. And somehow I had forgotten a lot. Like it was more like, no, like there's this, like I was just remembering that like, no, there's this one that goes like deep into like the pathos of the Hatter. Like it's pretty dark and fucked up, but like no one ever read it during the new 52 era. Like, like that'd be a good one to talk there's about. There's a reason why nobody read it. <laughs> and we went back and reread it this week and I was like, oh, fuck. I didn't remember anything about it. I just remembered that this, that the dark Knight as a book was practically unreadable. And I was like, you know, maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe it's like, it stood in poor comparison to the Snyder Batman and the Tomasi Batman and Robin and the wildly inconsistent detective comics that sometimes was like, good. Sometimes like was good. the first arc was unreadable because it was written by an artist who thought he could write because he was an artist. Yep. And then it gets, unreadable because it's hot dog shit yeah oh boy this one was was rough and and, yeah this is a a weird thing i just kind of noticed these issues are all short like they're all like 18 pages but they're so bad that it feels like 30 (laughs) still felt like you were reading for a month Ugh. you know we've gotta We've got to get through the bad before we can get to the good. We'll never speak of this again. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the thing. At least since it's not at the very bottom, we don't have to say its name every episode. That was on on Battle of the Atom. That was the deciding factor for one of them. Where Zach was just like, no, no, you know what? If I make this the bottom, I got to remember it every fucking week when we do this. It's second to the bottom. That's it. the uh the the phoenix uh miniseries the the one that became a max miniseries with issue two i believe that was the one that zach said yeah i don't want to talk about this so this will be second from the bottom and yeah i mean we there are some strong i still stand by that you know white knight 2 war crimes these are contenders for the bottom spot but oh boy but yes josh Thank you for bringing us this. Um, yeah, douche. As we as we wrap up, where can people follow you online, Josh, if you so wish to be followed? Um, if you so wish to follow me, you can find me on Twitter at asleep at the wheel w e i l. Thanks, Josh, for your patronage and for coming on the show. 
Next week, we are back to the three series that we're following one arc at a time with the next volume of Grant Morrison's Batman, No Man's Land, and Injustice. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers, Dan Grote, June, Conduit of Outdated Joke Names, June Command, Josh Wheel, Mrs. Abigail yeah. Hartbaum, <laughs> Asimov Fangirl, Tony Thornley, Go Utes, Sam Hopper, John Wickham, Robert Secundus, Tim Rooney, Giorgio Sergioli, David Wheel, and Alexander Wheel for their support. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music slash Audible, and on ComicsXF.com, where new episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the podcast on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Batchat with Matt and Will, where you can get shoutouts, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLast1013. And I'm at Will Nevin. I'm also out of here. Good night, Huntsville. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat Roundup of new Bat Books. For my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark. <laughs>